Oh, wow. I didn't realize we had a guest on this one. Yeah, guys! It's the human spider! He's coming in! Oh, God! He has a gun! Oh, no. Oh, jeez. Um. Alright. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I haven't slept all night, so I'm like... <laughs> gonna be crazy this episode but I didn't sleep on my last episode because I've just kind of returned if I just don't work I just return to being a night creature uh, so which I you are also a night creature so I'm sure you understand yes yeah no but yeah we're I've coming been up back all night too for another sick ass episode of screen Wings. Steve McQueen what Steve McQueen Steve McQueen what about Steve McQueen it's this this one. This one. That's, that's what this one is. That's not what this <laughs> do I trans should I transport back in time? Oh wait, no. Oh, wait, wait, Steve McQueen, the director of the Trooper. Oh yeah. For some reason I did the thumbnail this last night, so I rewatched every <laughs> Steve McQueen movie. I didn't watch the two. My bad. No. I wa- I watched the two. I know you watched the two because like, you literally said I'm 21 minutes into the chopper. I didn't say if I watched Portrait or, of a Lady on Fire or not, though. Yeah, you're right. Instead, you just watched the chopper again. <laughs> Sorry, Blood Shack. Oh, yes. The version we watched was called the chopper. Yeah. And I have an explanation for why they're titled two different things. Oh. Uh, yeah, anyway. We'll be talking about Blood Shacks slash The Trooper soon, and then after that, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, but before that, as we always do every week, Thomas, what'd you, what are you, what are you up to this week? Uh, nothing much. Worked a little bit, um, and then played the new Resident Evil game. And you beat it already, right? Yeah, I beat it the same night. It was good. Jeez, how many hours was it? Oh, I beat it in like five. It's not long. Huh. Yeah, it's only a one how campaign. Long was two? Uh, I mean, if you're good at it, you can beat it in like an hour. You, beat, you can beat Resident Evil 2 in an hour? I haven't played Resident Evil 2 since I was like a child. Uh, so. you, you can beat most of the Resident Evil games within like an hour. I think like four and up, it starts like jumping up to like an hour and a half or stuff, but... Yeah, speedrunners can beat them in, like, an hour. Well, yeah, but that's speedrunning. Well, I mean... Is that is that speedrunning glitchless? Uh, in RE1 Remake, it is in this one. I don't know. I don't know what the speedrunning techniques are for this one. Uh, there's multiple things in Resident Evil 2's remake that could make it a lot faster. Like, you can have, like, unlimited ammo, rocket launcher. That'll oh. have you beat the game pretty fast, but... Yeah. Uh, if you do it with, like, just regular guns, you can beat it pretty fast still, just not as fast. Huh. Good to know. Yeah. So you beat Resident Evil 3, and then you start playing the new 1 versus 4. Does that kind of play like uh, the Friday the 13th game at all? Or? Uh, kind of a little bit. I mean, it's the same general concept where it's like a group of people trying to survive together against one person who has a slight 
advantage, I guess. I wouldn't say he has. What is the, who's the one person playing as? Like, what, Nemesis or whatever his fucking name is? No, so basically, there are different survivors you can pick from. They all have, like, different types of skills. And then there are, like, four different masterminds you can pick. And each mastermind has, like, a different, like, ultimate it can summon. So, like, uh... Okay. Yeah, so, like, one of them will summon, like, the Tyrant, and another one will summon, like, William Birkins with the G-Virus, and... Yeah. It's, uh... It, it's fun. They're, like, quick little rounds. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's an enjoyable little game. It's definitely still needs, like, a lot of stuff added to it. It's still pretty bare. But it's good. I like I'm enjoying it. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. Did you, did you get a chance to watch anything? Uh, or just kind of mostly been in a gaming mood? Mostly been in a gaming mood. I actually stumbled across some of, like, uh, Smosh's content. So I've been checking out, like, <laughs> some of their newer stuff. Because it's been... St- because I haven't watched Smosh since, like, the Ian and Anthony, like, back when they were just doing sketches back in, like, 20... Probably, like, 11 was around the time I stopped watching Smosh. Yeah, same. So, I was just kind of, like, going down the rabbit hole, checking out some of the, like, different series they do now. Just kind of trying to see what it's like. It's uh, I can answer that. Not good. Th- I will say... There are some good things about it, like, I've noticed, like, there there is a silver lining there, but, yeah, I'm probably gonna, like, not watch any more Smosh for another, like... Anthony's channel's really interesting. <laughs> I, I, I've, like, seen one of his videos in the last couple years, and I know that he, like, moved towards what I had, like, perceived as, like, Shane Dawson-type, uh topic-centered videos, but I hadn't watched any of them. I had watched, like, one of them. Yeah, except they're actually, like, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was just my, my like, surface-level interpretation. Of yeah, it. no, I get it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I might check out some of his channel next, just for curiosity's sake, and then move on with my life. Because now all my fucking YouTube recommendation is Smosh, and it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. That's, occasionally I'll watch a video, like, for the meme of it. I'm like, I'm just gonna watch a nostalgia critic video. Because oh, I, I watch gosh. them, even though I, like, hate them. Yeah. And I'll watch one. And then my recommended feed, I'm just like, no! Stop showing me Doug Walker's face! Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure I, like, click the thing that made it so it won't suggest that channel to me anymore, because I'm just like, I don't want to get this shit out of here. Get this fucking shit out of here. <laughs> oh. Um, I had a great week for movies. Yeah, like, you watched Gundam. I watched, so I watched the rest. So last week I just watched, when we recorded the podcast, I just watched the first origin film, and I loved it. Like, I, I really, really loved it. And then me and Pierre and uh, occasionally other people would jump in because the recaps at the beginning of those or- origin films are, like, really good yeah. to the point that, like, you can just jump in. Um, but we watched the rest, and I, I pretty much loved them all. The second one I thought was the weakest, but I still, like, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I, 
I, I mostly just like thought that the pacing was really off in that one. <laughs> yeah. Because like they were telling like two vastly different stories and like pushing them together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the pacing's a bit off and I don't like the whole like just convenience of, hey, there's a guy here who looks exactly fucking like you. I mean, I don't... I, I thought it was, like, a weird thing, but I do like, like, what they do with... Like, I, I I can forgive it because I really like, like, the the way they handle the situation going forward from there. So I'm like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just a small drop yeah. in the ocean uh, that is Gundam. This, you know, but the third one, especially, the third one was my favorite. The third one was fucking amazing. Yeah, the third one's really good. Um, Especially the, like, assault on the compound at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 4 and 5. I like 4 and 5, but they leave, like, less of an impression with me. Oh, it 5 like, was actually my, I think, second favorite. I It's just, it, it always, like, blurs straight into the original series for me. Cause it's yeah, like, well, that, that's that's what's, like, good about, like, I, I hadn't seen the original series, which I started, I, I just finished uh, episode six, like, right before we talked. Mm. And uh, I'm loving the show so far. Yeah, like, it's, it's pretty great. I thoroughly I, enjoy the show. Like, like I, I can say that, like, even from just seeing six episodes in the six origin films, I have a feeling that Gundam, like, Mobile Suit Gundam's probably going to be, like, my favorite anime. Yeah. It's... <sighs> and the theme song is so good. Oh, I fucking know, right? That thing is a fucking slapper. <laughs> oh, no. So that, that was great, but we also have been continuing our, like, quarantine movie day. Hmm. How has that been going? Uh, that's been going really well. Um, we watched uh, the sequel to Who Killed Captain Alex a couple days ago. Oh. Uh, it's called Bad Black. That's also on Wakaliwood's uh, YouTube channel for free. Okay. And I thir- I loved it. <laughs> Just as- I- Not as much as I loved Who Killed Captain Alex, which I think is like, for what it is and what it's trying to be, and for a celebration of, like, micro-budget filmmaking, I think it's a masterpiece. In, in, like, the way that it is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Expertly crafted with what the resources available. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. When did we record the pot? Was it the 31st, right? Yeah. So, that, that day, like, later that day, uh, we watched Boruto the movie. Oh, which um, I hate Naruto. Yeah, <laughs> and I I have a feeling that I don't I would not like Boruto because I hated the movie. Probably. I mean, not even all Naruto fans like Boruto, so that's gotta gotta say something. Yeah. Um, we watched the Ghibli film The Wind Rises, oh, which yeah. I was like really excited for. I had seen like the and first just, half like, of it, and then I like fizzled out. I, I just, I didn't really like it. I just, I felt like I wasn't connecting with anything on screen. Yeah. I was like, come on, I, I need something. And then I just, like, it was very pretty. Um, I watched the dub as well, and Werner Herzog is one of the characters. Oh. So that was fun. 
I know that uh, the kid who does uh, Steven Universe does like the yeah, younger... he plays the young version, which is only on screen for like fifteen minutes at the most. But yeah, um, and then I I wanted to keep watching more uh, Mister um, what's his name. Uh, Buster Keaton, there it is. Oh. I want to watch more Buster Keaton. I only got a chance to watch one more, though. I watched The Cameraman, which is... Um, or actually, did I watch... I think I just watched Steamboat Bill Jr., like, right before we did the podcast. And that was um, the movie that was, like, a financial, like... it. it just got destroyed in the box office to the point where Buster Keaton had to close his own production company. Oh. And he signed on with MGM, which he would later say was, like, the greatest mistake of his entire life. Hmm. Because they started taking away, like, all of his creative control. Yeah. Um. But, uh, The Cameraman was the first movie he made with them. And at that point, they were, like, because he was already working on it beforehand, before, like, he had to close up shop. So they let him have pretty much all of his creative control. So it still had that same, like, Buster Keaton flair. Um, and that was really good. I realized that Buster Keaton has, like, a si- had a six-pack. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck? Because at one point, he takes off his shirt to change. And I was just like, what the fuck do I do with this information? <laughs> Because, like, the way he wears his clothes, he wears, like, these big baggy suits, and then he takes off his shirt, and he's, like, kind of, like, ripped, and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. (laughs) So that, like, startled me. But that makes sense, because he does, like, you watch him do his, like, athletic stunts, like, the ones that aren't just, like, him falling off something. Like, he'll be, like, just doing, like, a tightrope, and he'll fall off, and he'll just, like, pull himself up in, like, a second. Like, it's obvious that he was very athletic, but I just never connected that. So when that happened, I was just like, is that a six-pack on Buster Keaton? (laughs) Oh, now you know. Don't forget it. (laughs) Um... And then I we watched her. Joe picked her for one of his movie picks because um, he had never seen it, and I have you a, haven't seen it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I loved it just as much as I loved it before. I I really like Spike Jones as a director, so I was I was pretty sure I was still going to really like it. Yeah, I mean, but I did. From what I hear, I'll probably love it. I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. Too busy playing Resident Evil Three. Oh yeah. Um, and then, uh, spoiler alert, the, the trooper kind of made me be like, wow, maybe films were a mistake. Not really, but, so then I'm like, I'm going to watch some films that kind of remind me of this, but that I remember liking. So I watched, um, so the Cinemassacre, have you ever seen, uh, James Rolfe's like senior film project? It was uh, Legend of the Blue Hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I rewatched that. <laughs> and, like, it's still decent. Like, it's... I don't think... Like, it's legitimately kind of good. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, the production definitely is the weakest aspect of it, but I liked the idea behind it, and I liked the idea of, like, this New Jersey-centered uh, anthology like series. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I wish that he would have like, done the more storytelling of, of that first episode is strong. Like, I, it's like, it's like James. It's time just retire AVGN 
and just bring back the New Jersey, like, what what was it called? New Jersey Devil. Fucking, what was it called? The Jersey Odysseys. That's oh. what the show was going to be called. Just bring back that. And then I watched um, one that I hadn't seen before. Have you ever seen the video, uh, The Dragon in My Dreams? Yes, that's a really good one. Yeah, I was like, that like made me like, kind of like emotionally, like, it hit me. Yeah. Not like cry or anything, but suddenly I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I really like um, all of his like, uh, his, retro like retrospective stuff. Yeah. And I haven't seen most of those. Um, I haven't seen the like tw- 25 minute one he's done, but I watched that one. I, that was the first time I'd seen it. And I was like, wow, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I was going to watch more Cinemasker movies, but then I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire and I'm like, okay. I need to watch more movies by this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so she co-wrote uh, this claymation movie called My Life is a Zucchini. And oh. it was under, it was like 65 minutes or something. So I'm like, I'm just going to watch this right now. So I did. And it was delightful. Um, I don't know why I'm saying it was delightful. It was pretty sad. <laughs> oh, okay. It was like, it was about this kid who uh, he has like, his dad, like, abandoned his family, and his mother was, like, a super big alcoholic, and he lived in the attic, and one day, like, he, like, spilled something out of the attic, and his mom was, like, coming to come beat him, and he was, like, really scared, and as she was climbing the stairs, he, like, closed the attic door on her, and she, like, hit her head and, like, fell down the stairs and died. Oh. And that's, like, the first, like, three minutes of the movie. <laughs> So then he gets sent to an orphanage, and it's like, all these kids are sad. And, like, it ends on a nice note, and there are happy moments, but, like, there's, there's a lot of downer moments in that movie, too. But it was good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and then, like, five hours ago, I watched Water Lilies, which was uh, Celine Sciamma's first feature film. And that okay. also had uh, Adele Hanel, Hanel in it. Who is in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, and that was very good as well. Uh, she okay. plays Eloise. Okay. Which is the lady that's on fire in the portrait. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's the lady on fire! Whoa! Uh, and then for my pick yesterday for a little movie day, we watched The Man from Nowhere, which is a South Korean revenge thriller. Which I really, really liked. Hmm. So, I've I've had a pretty great week for movies and just in general. I've been playing lots of Dynasty Warriors. I finished uh, season five of Bleach. Started season six, but then I started watching Gundam. And I'll probably finish Gundam in the next, like, two days because it's only 43 episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a quick watch. And then I'm probably going to watch the recap films afterwards because I would like to see how they... Because it doesn't seem like too much, um, like, content to put, like... It seems like they could make them pretty pretty good, you know? Because a lot of, like... Because what? Probably, let's say, five or six of each... Five or six minutes of each episode is, like, either the recap or the opening or, like, saying what's happening next week. So, 
If every yeah. episode's like only actually like 16 minutes, it's like four to an hour. And all the movies, I think, are two and a half hours long. So it seems like they could theoretically make them like really well streamlined and good. So I would like to see how they do that. Yeah, it's to my understanding that they do do that. Um, so I haven't seen any of them though. I plan on rewatching because when I stopped watching the series about approximately a year ago i had intentionally stopped where the second compilation movie ended that way i could like hop right back into it oh yeah yeah okay cool um yeah yeah, so i'm probably gonna watch that i really want to because for episode 50 we're obviously doing our each our top 50 uh films Mm. um I really want to get to the point where I think it's uh, I think it's the original series and Zeta I think is like the the sequel series to like the original like with the same characters. Yeah, the, the um, trilogy is uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta, and then ZZ Char's Counterattack, and that's like the kind of like core of the Universal Century. There's a bunch of other stuff, and I would Zeta, like to Zeta has ahead. like some movies that like are rebooted and kind of like change what happens in it. Um, yeah, I think it's called like Zeta reimagined or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, um, but, I've heard decent things about that, but yeah, um, I wouldn't know. I haven't seen, but I, I would like to be able to rewatch Char's counterattack, like with the knowledge of like the, all of the universal century series just because, like, I loved it so much with no, no, like, almost no knowledge of Gundam to the point that, like, I could see it becoming, like, a favorite of mine if I do have all that knowledge back in <laughs> Yeah. I could see that. Um, yeah. Pretty good. I'm, I'm very excited to watch Gundam. I was like, I've been loving it. I'm six episodes in, and it was like, I was really scared that, like, the tone would be a little, like, n- not as brutal as, like, some of the origin films. But no, people are, like, the whole series so far has been pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, and, like, r- definitely- right now I'm right getting to the point where Amuro's, like, battle fatigued and, like, <laughs> it's just sad. And I love sad shit, you know? <laughs> That's my favorite thing. I'm like, oh, it's sad? I'm in. Yeah, uh, there's, like, a ton of shit that happens, like, before episode 10 that's gonna, like, rock your fucking world, so. That's all I'm gonna say on the matter. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of speechless as how much I'm enjoying that show, to the point where, like, I, I keep wanting to watch more Beastars so I can, like, finish it and keep it out of my mind, but instead I'm like, hey, you mind you got Gundam, and then I also have Bleach, and I really like Bleach, I'm like, Bleach Gundam, and I'm like, fuck, I have this series in the back of my head that'll bother me till the day I finish it, but I hate it. So don't Which is so sad because everyone likes it. And I'm like, why can't I like things people like? I don't know. Um, oh, and tonight uh, for our movie night, uh, it was Joe's pick, and we're watching Good Time. Oh. Which uh, is not a good time. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a bad time, if anything. But yeah. I, I, I've seen it, I think, twice, and I, I really like that movie, so. I've only seen it the one time. But it is a good movie. Oh, all right. Are we ready for some questions? Sure. All right. We got one pair of questions. Well, sorry. Three questions all coming from Pierre oh, DePoyo. Number one. What are your favorite sci-fi ships? Uh, the USS Enterprise. The Enterprise is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to go with... I'm gonna go with the Jedi Starfighters. Uh, I really like the Jedi Starfighters design. Go with that. Or, um... What else do I fucking like? Hmm. The thing is, like, when I think about sci-fi ships, I just kind of love them all. Because <laughs> I just like the look of spaceships. Yeah. And as long as they just don't look like a regular spaceship, I'll probably be like, wow, I like that one. Fair. Um, I really like the look of the, the, the Musai in, um... Gundam? I think they're really funky looking. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's probably my my picks. I'm trying to think if I like any other ones. It's gonna it's gonna be one of those things that we're gonna end the podcast and be like, what the fuck was I thinking? I love this ship. Yeah. But I don't it's it's not a big deal. <laughs> okay, number two. What would you name a pet spider? Uh, probably pet spider. I don't know. It would depend on the spider. Um, I'm always a fan of giving pets like human names, but spiders, I think you have to be like really particular with what kind of human name you would give it. So I'm thinking like either Theodore, Arthur, or like Gertrude. Uh, I like Gertrude (laughs) that's a good one Gertrude the spider yeah Um, what's the name I I think Jeff is the name of the spider that's Billy's kid and Billy and Mandy I think I would name my spider Uh, that Jeff Jeff the spider yeah I just love giving pets human names yeah (laughs) okay number three what appliance would you steal from Lowe's given the chance? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Paint, maybe? Brush? I don't know. What do they sell there? What, what appliance? They sell appliances. Oh. Uh, I, I, I want, like, a really nice refrigerator. Like a big, like double-sided refrigerator. I love, I love nice refrigerators. So maybe one of those. I would take a new washing machine. Maybe a new washing machine. 
I don't know how I'd steal that, but well, give it the chance. So maybe like I don't know you. The store like blacks out and you're suddenly like there by yourself, or maybe you get jumper powers like in the movie Jumper starring Hayden Christensen, but only for like an hour and only to like you can only jump from your house to Lowe's and Lowe's from your house, and you can only bring with you like one appliance from Lowe's, and then you oh. lose the jumper powers like forever. That's a good idea for a movie. Yeah, jumper, but you can only jump to Lowe's. Lowers. Like, wait, what did you say? Lowers. What? Lowers, like lower with an S, like uh, jumper, but low, you know. Ah, uh, okay. I was just like, what does that mean? Okay, I was <laughs> hearing you correctly. I just couldn't comprehend what, like, that word meant. Because I'm tired. I'm just like, lowers. (laughs) Genius. All right. Well, see, we brought back movie ideas and had a great one. You jump to lows. (laughs) Lowers. Thank you, Pierre, once again for the questions. Uh, Let's just jump into it because Thomas's mic's cord is breaking or something. Um, Something. So let's talk about... The, what is it, Ray Dennis Steckler? Yeah. Classic. Blood the Shack. Blood, blood Shack or the Chooper. known as the Chooper. Um, this movie sucks. Yeah. I don't know, did you like it? Uh, I'd say I enjoyed it. Okay, that's good, I did it. <laughs> I was kind of fascinated by it, but I don't know if I um liked anything in it. No, that's not true. I like one thing, which we'll get to. Um, I mean, I think I don't think I'll like ever jump to rewatch it or anything, but there there were definitely things about it that I respected. Um, so this movie came out in nineteen seventy one. <clears throat> and it runs uh, the the Thanks. Blood Shack cut is fifty five minutes. The Chooper cut is seventy minutes. Uh, oh yeah. Do you want to know the difference, Thomas? The rodeo scenes. Yeah, the rodeo scenes. <laughs> yeah, um, I re- I read the uh, little IMDb thing that said that. It was too short to be considered a feature, so they yeah, had so added the, like 10 minutes. Just so they could put it into theaters and drive-ins. And he's like, he couldn't possibly spend any more money on making like scenes related to the film. So he's just like, I got it. I'm going to go film the rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this, this is a intriguing little film. Uh you want to just jump straight into the plot or yeah because I, I have more stuff to talk about like kind of the production stuff but mostly after the plot's like explained and we talk a little bit more about it the plot's like paper okay. fucking thin so it'll take like no time to explain the plot okay so the film begins with a retelling of an old folk tale about the chooper <laughs> so basically a pioneer named uh, ed walton shot the son of a or the young son of a native chief who then uh vowed revenge and placed a curse upon the family 
or placed a curse upon the family. Uh, so two days later, the entire Walton family is murdered in their house, and uh, whoever stays in that house dies ever since. And basically, at some point in the last like hundred and fifty years, our main character Carol, her uncle Jim acquired the property and built a new house on the property. But out of respect for history, he left the Chooper house standing. So, the film begins, like, really begins without just an exposition dump with a couple kids who are running over to this property. And there's a guy, shirtless guy in a cowboy hat, digging a hole out in the front yard. Daniel. Daniel. Uh, And basically, they're like, yeah, can we play here? And he's like, yeah, just stay away from the Chooper house. And then they, like, immediately Uh, go towards the Chooper house. So he yells at them and they run away. And he's like, your mom called. Get out of here. So this car pulls up and like a trio of people get out. Uh, two men, one woman. And uh, one they woman? talk about the ch- one woman. One, one woman. single woman. Uh, but they get out and they talk about the Trooper legend. And the two guys refuse to stay and they ditch the woman. Whose name is Connie, by the way. Her name is Connie. We find out much, much later in the film. Yeah. But, uh... So, basically, they just ditch her with her sleeping bag. And she's left to stay there. And she goes inside, and Daniel instantly follows her. And he's like, what What are you doing? You can't stay here. This is the Trooper house. You'll die. I'm she's like, it's okay. The Trooper will get you. The Trooper. He'll get you. I'm warning you. She's like... And she's just like, it's okay, baby. I, I'll be fine. She keeps calling him baby. Ghost. <laughs> uh, so basically, he's like, fine, but he's gonna get you, and then I'm gonna bury you in the morning. <laughs> but so yeah, so then she, there's like this scene where she quickly uh like strips down to her undergarments and just sits in the dark. For three whole fucking minutes. Just sitting in the dark. Occasionally she'll call out, like, Daniel's name. Be like, Daniel, yeah, is like, that you? Are you playing yeah, a joke like, on me? Yeah, she, like, hears something. She's like, Daniel? She's laying on this fucking gross-ass mattress. And I'm just like, yeah. you brought a sleeping bag, you fucking idiot. <laughs> but, I was, uh, like, disgusted. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was like, you'd ha- you'd just be better off sleeping on the floor, honestly. Yeah. But uh, after three minutes of just her sitting in the dark, we get a loud scream from the trooper, who then chases her around the house and stabs her to death with a sword. And uh, wherever he stabs, they just kind of put fake blood yeah, over sure. top of. There's no like cuts or gashes or any sort of special it's effects not even like, like that. It's not even like. Anywhere close to convincing fake blood, it literally just looks like Frank's red hot sauce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel finds her body the next morning and grieves with a nice tall glass of I told you so and buries her body. Yeah, he's like, I told you! I told you the trooper would get you! Yeah, um, you deserve this. I he, warn you. He buries her body and as he's doing that, he takes her wallet and he's like, 
Well, good thing the trooper didn't need this money. <laughs> That's one of yep. the one things I like kind of liked. I was like, I like that. That's I, funny. I, I found the whole like Daniel bit of the plot very funny. Whenever he was on screen, I had a blast. Whatever that <laughs> act, whoever that actor was, he was great. He made. I, this I mean, movie. I. I don't know if I liked it, but I definitely thought he was more entertaining. He was only in this, like, pretty much everyone was, like, a non-actor except for, like, Carolyn Brandt, which, who plays Carolyn in the movie, and uh, the guy who plays Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, those two little kids are just the director's children. <laughs> oh. I guess that would make sense. He's like, I don't have any money. Um, they made yeah. this movie for $500. Yeah, I saw that. And it's like, oof. Man. I was reading, to, to learn more about this movie, I kept, like, finding these, like, old, like, forums from, like, 2005 to, like, nine. That, and one of them was like, you know what? If you had to make a movie for $500, I bet you couldn't do better. And to that, I <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I think I yeah, could do better. The writing quality could definitely be much better, at, at the very least. I don't, I don't know if they wrote a script for this. <laughs> like, That's I know fair. that they're credited as writers, but I feel like they, like, made an outline and they called it a script. Because most of the lines are just repeating what they've said. Yeah. Like, Daniel, I feel like 90% of his lines are, The trooper will get you! I told you the trooper will get you! Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, man. So, quickly after... He buries uh, Connie. Uh, he's supposed to go pick up Carol because she's taking over the property. So he goes to pick her up, but he's an hour late. And he says that there was like an emergency, so he had to take care of it. Uh, so as soon as they get back to the property, Tim is there waiting. And he's this guy, you get the... Uh, impression that he's kind of like hung around before, like he's friends with Daniel. Um, but he means business while he's here now. He wants to buy the ranch. But <laughs> what? Carol's just he not selling. He wants to buy the ranch? <laughs> I know, it's Seriously. like the only fucking line yeah, he says. Like, I'm movie. gonna buy this ranch! And Carol says, no, you know what? I think I'm gonna keep it. He's like, no, I'm gonna buy it! <laughs> She's like, no, you're not. Um... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Daniel leaves shortly after, uh, he, like, goes to take the trash down the road or something like that, and she goes and she kind of checks out the, the Chooper house, and then the kids show up, and she basically gives them permission to go inside. So they do, and then Daniel shows up and scares them out of the house. Uh, and I will say the soundtrack in the scene where she was checking out the house, I thought was pretty, pretty good. Honestly, I like the the soundtrack, like, 
I don't think it was, like, really special, but I think it was, like, leagues better than most of the other things about this film. Yeah, for sure. I like the, the um, Chooper song. Yeah. Like, the Chooper song yeah. wasn't bad. I like the track that played in this scene, and there's a track that played during one of the later rodeo scenes that I thought was really good. I Yeah, no, that's what I was saying. I'm like, I don't... I mean, I don't like how fucking useless this scene is, but this, this track's kind of bopping. <laughs> yeah, and I looked all over online. I can't find, like, just a solid version of the track uploaded online or anything. I, I can't even find any information about it. So. I don't want I, this is so weird because I kind of, I, I hated this movie, but, mm. I, and I said this to you, it, it fascinates me, and I kind of want to try to, track down a DVD copy of it. Oh, because there's one on Amazon for like eight bucks. Because apparently on the DVD copy, it has both cuts, but it also has two commentary tracks. Oh. <laughs> and it's just, I just want to know, like, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> yeah. Couldn't tell you. Oh, but, okay, so... He picks up Carolyn, they do that, the kids run out, and then throughout this whole movie, not a lot happens. Yeah, this is, this is where it starts to really just become filler scenes. And it's... More so than it already was. And it's mostly just, like, seemingly improvised lines, and, like, I don't mind improvised acting, you know, like... But if you're just going to repeat the same sentence over and over again, I'm probably yeah. not cool with that. <laughs> like, uh, basically we get like this kind of handful of scenes here where uh, she has like Daniel Scheller show her around the ranch. Uh, she buys the kids some soda and she talks about how she wants kids. And then... Uh, there's like a scene where she's like at the gas station and she's talking to Tim again and she's saying what he's telling her and they're showing that they're talking, but she's got like this recorded exposition where she explains what he's saying in the scene. And it's like, why didn't you just, I don't know, write some fucking dialogue for the scene that you shot? Maybe the audio turned out bad for that, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, interesting because a lot of the narration is, like, there's a lot of strange, like, meta, like, narrative about this movie that it presents oh, in yeah. itself. Because, like, Carol is a f like plays herself. Movie maker. Yeah, it will, yeah, like, so she pretty much plays herself, <laughs> like, in the they movie. Even, they have a... One of the posters for yeah, one of the, the directors. The other killers, I think it's called. Yeah. Oh. And that's like, like that. it's it's it feels like you know it. the The interesting part is this movie's like this weird meta thing on like her introspective parts where she's just like, I failed. I never was able to accomplish what I wanted to be. Like obviously, like that's how she actually feels, at least partially. And yeah, like Ray Dennis Steckler and her, the director and her were married at this point. Like they were married and they divorced like 
two years after this, and they had been married, like, a decent amount of time, I think, like, 12 years or something. Hmm. But it feels like this movie, at some points, it feels like her being like, my life was a mistake, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It definitely feels like that. Um, And it's like, you're watching this, and it's just like, I feel like I shouldn't be watching this. I feel like this is like... I'm reading somebody's diary from the 70s. And that's, like, the interesting part. I just wish, like, the execution was, like, good, or it was just, like, a vlog. (laughs) I wish I had just kind of been reading this, I guess, without all the surrounding, like, horror scenes that aren't horror. I mean, they are, I guess, but they're... uh, (laughs) Yeah, they're bad horror. They're more comedy than Can they are horror. Can we talk about the Troopers' uh, monster design real quick? Uh, sure. Um, it's a guy in, like, a hoodie with a sword. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Oh. And, like, a mask. It's really bad. And it's... I like how he's wearing, like, this completely, like, black outfit. And it's like... Someone pointed this out on, like, the IMDb... But it's like you're wearing a black outfit in the desert. You're not going to, like, obviously you're going to be seen. The idea when, like, wearing an outfit like that is, like, to blend into the night. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, what the fuck? And I'm like, are you supposed Uh, to be a Native American spirit? Why are you in just, like, a sweatshirt? (laughs) (laughs) well we'll find that out here very soon it's very heavily implied throughout like the first 99% of the movie that Daniel is the trooper because he'll the way that they kind of set it up is like he'll warn people he'll like be off screen when it happens and then immediately find their bodies Uh, specifically the scene where it becomes like really like hits you over the head like oh yeah it's gonna be Daniel who's the trooper is the scene after the rodeo by the way there's a rodeo scene we're just not gonna talk about it though cause it's just that it's a rodeo just scene. him filming the rodeo <laughs> uh but Connie's husband shows up and he basically is like yeah I'm gonna go check out the trooper house cause I haven't seen my wife and this is where she was last seen and he walks in and immediately dies <laughs> Yeah, like, like and then two Daniel, seconds later, and it, it, the way that they make it look is like Daniel just like went into his house, put on the mask, grabbed the sword, and immediately did it. And then, and then Daniel's talking to like the open doorway. <laughs> yeah, like, he finds the body, and he's like, "Oh boy, I warned you! I warned you! The trooper was going to get you." And then he's, like, talking to to the trooper, and he's like, don't worry, I'll never let them tear down this house. Yeah. He's like, you just, you'll keep killing them, and I'll keep burying them, just to preserve this house. But around the same time, we learn that Tim, the guy who wants to buy the house, uh, is in it for, he had said he wanted to buy it so that he could tear it down to get rid of the curse. But we find out that actually there's like precious resources underneath the land, and he just wants to get those. And there's also this uh, setup where it's like his grandfather and Carolyn's grandfather had like this feud over who 
really own the property. And uh, Tim's grandfather obviously, like, lost the dispute. But it's kind of, like, insinuated that uh, it has something to do with this super curse, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, basically, after that scene, there's another rodeo, but this time at the rodeo, Tim shows up and he's like, you're going to sell me your property. And she's like, no, I'm not. And then, uh, <laughs> like an every other goes, scene was Tim. <laughs> exactly. Then an officer shows up to the trooper property and, uh. He basically asks to check out the house because a lot of people have gone missing there. And she's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, specifically Connie and her husband. Like, that's who he's, like, looking for. Like, that's yeah. who he names. Uh, so, he goes and he checks it out and he's killed by the trooper. And this is the first and only scene where we don't see Daniel clean up the body. So, we're left to presume that it was the trooper who did it. I think. Because I don't remember Daniel cleaning the body up, but maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe it was off screen. Uh, But then Tim pays another visit, and this time he's very adamant about buying the property. Kind and then of she's like, them. I know that you're, you just want the, the minerals or whatever. <laughs> And he's like, what? So he gets really mad and beats up Daniel. Yeah, they get into a fight. Well, technically, he he was getting kind of handsy with her, and then Daniel, like, stepped in, and that led to, like, the the full-on brawl. It wasn't completely, I guess, he just went over and started wailing on Daniel. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so the two of them fight, and then uh, she picks up, like, a two by four and threatens to like beat him and then she hits him on the leg anyway he grabs his hat and he leaves and then we get another rodeo scene the final rodeo scene and then (sighs) yeah they go back to the house and in a plot twist it turns out Daniel is not the trooper because the trooper attacks him and stabs him and then uh Carolyn goes over and checks out the Chooper house where she is then attacked. But then she like runs outside and runs past Daniel who uh, still alive and he he then starts he, wrestling like, with the Chooper. Yeah, he tackles the Chooper. <laughs> and oh, then man. she picks up a shovel that the kids were playing with earlier and then she uh, hits the Chooper with it and then Daniel takes the Chooper's sword and stabs him and then they both die. And then but but right before Daniel dies he goes this is just Tim. This is Tim here. He just wanted to scare you off the land. The trooper is still real, I tell you. And then he dies. Yeah. So, like, it, it either, it implies that either Daniel was the trooper, like the original trooper, like the one that was killing all the people, or that the trooper is a real thing and all, like, Tim was just this kill, but, like, I just... Daniel's whole thing, if the trooper was real and Daniel's whole motivation was like, no, we gotta kill people to keep them from, like, tearing down the house, I'm like, that, that's the, that's the opposite of what that would do. 
Yeah. Because Tim is Tim is like, oh, I'm going to kill them to like, or I'm going to at least scare them to get them to like sell the house or so yeah. or to tear it down, which is a much more reasonable line of thinking than, oh, if we keep murdering people, they won't tear down the murder house. See, I, I think Daniel's line of logic there is that nobody knows that the bodies are there, so he buries them to keep people from discovering like, oh yeah, officially the murder was in this house. So maybe that was his line of logic. Maybe I'm doing too many mental gymnastics here. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like... (laughs) It's just uh, just a bit silly. It's also like, I just... I just don't... Because it wasn't this house, like, when we saw the road, it didn't seem like it was off a main road or anything. It seemed like it was, like, close to town to the point that I'm like, if you were trying to carry a body out, someone would see you. <laughs> You're on a flat plane of land. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, one body, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, obviously, you just got lucky. But if he just kept doing it, it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, everyone in the town's blind! Apparently. <sighs> um, let's see. I think I wrote some things about the movie. Let me open up my Google Docs real quick. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's. I don't know if I would like the movie anymore if I had seen the other like Steckler films. Probably not because I have a feeling I wouldn't like any of them. Even though I know that he just, it's funny because like I like watching like trash movies as much as the next person, but I just, I just don't understand the people that are like these are my favorite types of movies, you know. Like, I like them occasionally, but there are people that I know that are like, I only watch B-movies. Yeah. Um, I I couldn't understand the appeal of, like, only watching B-movies, but I totally get, like, the appeal of liking movies like this. Um, I don't know if I get the appeal of liking movies like this one, but I get, like... I have a feeling that there are Ray Dennis Steckler films that are well, like, received, like, by the general public, I guess. It fe- uh, From what my reading, it feels like even, like, a lot of fans of Steckler didn't like this movie because it just is nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, fi- I find movies that are, like... These clearly just kind of like shot on video, no budget movies where you're just left kind of wondering a lot. Like, oh, what? Why did you possibly make this decision with this movie? And I don't know. There's 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 something kind of charming about like really bad bottom of the barrel movies from this era in particular. And something I want to talk about that. Because I, I said I kind of respect this film in some manners. Um, so, this predates a lot of the slasher genre. And I would 
typically expect a movie of this tier to come from like the early 80s but it came from like the early 70s so this movie like predates like Black christmas yeah. halloween friday the 13th like the burning all of like these iconic slasher movies so because the only slasher movies that i know of before this there might have been more kind of bottom of the barrel ones like this but i knew i know that there's psycho and sleeping tom or peeping tom and those are the two that are like cited as like the beginning of the slasher genre in 1960 so i was kind of i was kind of like impressed i was like oh this came before like halloween and all of like the golden age of the slasher genre so i'm kind of interested to like do some digging around and see if there are any more slasher movies of this type that came from this time period because it's like whole 10 years earlier than most other ones came out. Yeah, because what, what did Black Christmas come out? 75? 74. Four, and then... 74, Halloween was 78. 78, yeah. And so when was... Friday Texas the 13th? Chainsaw. Was that 81? Uh, the second one was 81. I think the first one was 78 uh, or 80. 79. It was 1980 oh, the first. Okay. But, uh... Yeah, and I know The Burning came out in 1980, I think, yeah. And that was the one that a lot of people say that, like, Friday the 13th kind of, like, ripped off with uh, the sequel. I've heard The Burning's uh, dope. I haven't seen it. The The Burning is good. It's got Jason Alexander in it. Really? Or, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily good by today's standards i watched it when i was in like middle school but i remember enjoying it i've heard good things like from recently from people who've watched like recently i i I talked to a lot of people about um the movies you know the movies yes but yeah no there's this is a this is a shitty little film, but I found it pretty funny. I laughed a lot at it. Um, I did not laugh. Uh, I thought... Actually, no. I did laugh at... Uh, I like the fact that Daniel's, like, shirtless for, like, the first, like, 30 minutes. And then he gets, like, this little jacket that, like, is above it That, like, goes down to, like, his belly button. <laughs> Like, it's, like, this tiny little jacket that he wears for the rest of it. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Is this supposed to be, like, sex appeal? Because it's working. (laughs) Alright, um, I mean, I like, I like his little jacket, but, like, I don't... Even though I, I think this movie's kind of fascinating in the sense that I can kind of relate to what the director's trying to do because you know I, I I like the idea of making films on like no budgets and I like the fact that he went to some like weird shitty little town to make a movie I like the aesthetic of this weird shitty little town yeah <laughs> but like I didn't like any of it as a whole and the parts that like I kind of liked were just most of it I just I was really bored and I, d- I did not I did not have fun. 
I just thought it was really, really dull. Even though I can respect, like, even I was thinking about, like, this is pretty early for, like, a slasher movie. Yeah. But, like, I hated it. (laughs) But it's fascinating, you know? Just because I hated it, and I think it's, like, the worst. I think it's still, like, worth a watch for people interested in, like, maybe filmmaking or horror history, because it it has its, it has a place in history, I'll say that much. <laughs> At least for like B movie shit. Yeah. Um that won't stop me from giving it a one out of ten though. Yeah, that, that I I can't give this more than a one. So <laughs> I thought you were gonna be like, you know what, I'm gonna give this like a four. No. <laughs> now, um, the next movie, I did not give a 1 out of 10. Yeah. Believe it or not. Um, we're going to be talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, this blew up last year, uh, won a bunch of awards, and it's currently like super highly rated on the letterbox. you know, the only good site, <laughs> the only site I tend to use for anything, because <laughs> I just... I'm addicted to films and people's reviews of films, I guess. Yeah. Letterboxd is the best place for that. Oh. But, yeah. Also, I love gay movies. Uh, and this movie's very gay. Yeah. There's um, no so denying that. Based, you know, like, late 1700s, end of the 18th century, we're introduced to uh, Marianne who is, like, she's a young painter. She's probably about, like, 30 at this point. Um, and she's teaching a painting class. And she's like, blah, blah, blah. She's telling them, like, look at the way I'm posing and shit like this. And then suddenly she sees out of the corner of her eye, she's like, what the fuck is that? Who brought that painting out? And somebody's like, I did. I'm sorry. Was I not supposed to? She's like, no, I do not like it. Um, And they talk about it, and it zooms over, and it's the portrait of a lady on fire. And they ask her the title. And she she says, says, the portrait of a lady on fire. Fun fact, the actual, like, French title is, uh, they don't say lady, because I don't know if there's, like, a term for, like, Lady, but they use the term uh, jeune fille, I believe, which is young girl, which, you know, is pretty close to lady. But Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note that, like, the young, like, it's talking because... Yeah, exactly. Like, and it feels like, especially now that I've watched more of Celine, of the director's works, it seems like every one of her films is about, like, coming of age. And even though both of these people in this movie... Like the two leads are both adults in this movie, it still, still feels like with something exactly. <coughs> it's still oh. growing up, just in a different way. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this movie is good. I liked it. Uh, I loved it. My, I, I, I love this movie. I almost watched it again, like, just now, like, right before the podcast, but I was really tired, so I, like, ran to the store, to the gro- to the gas station, because I'm like, okay, nobody's gonna be there, they just opened, 
So I went and like grabbed an energy drink. Mm. And I was like, I, I've like not left my house like at all. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like always scared. I'm like, is somebody gonna cough on me? Nah, yeah. Um, but then it transports us back in time um, where she is in a boat sailing to an island. Uh, the island, I think, is called Brittany or Brittany. Uh, it's it's in France. It's just a mile off, like the coast of France. Um, and she's been commissioned to paint a portrait of a young woman named Eloise, who is um, played by Adele Hanel or Hanel. I don't know. Uh, I'm bad with French names. I apologize in advance because there's a lot of French names that I'm be saying on this. Um, fun fact. <laughs> That's also pretty apparent in the way the film's structured. Um, so Celine, Siama, and Adele uh, dated for a long time. Uh, and they broke up like three months before they filmed this movie. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, it, I can't help but feel that Marianne is just like, a self-insert for Celine, and uh, like it makes sense. I mean, an artist the, like, character, yeah, preserved with the memory of the relationship. Yeah, <laughs> but and just the like longing looks that like are apparent in this movie. It's just like ah, ooh, I see what's happening, and I knew this before we watched the movie. I, I like I I knew that. They had dated, and I'm like, I wonder how this is gonna go. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can see what's happening here. <laughs> hmm. Um, but Eloise is supposed to be like married off to a Milanese nobleman, um, as in from Milan. So he's, you know, <laughs> that, uh, when I watched this with Hinatea, she like, she was like, what the fuck does Milanese mean? <laughs> But, uh, it's just, it's just fucking, uh... Someone from Milan? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just fucking say, uh, Italian, but I guess, like, it's a... I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But Eloise's big thing is she, like, doesn't want to be married to this guy, so she, like has been refusing to pose for these portraits to the point where the last painter, like, up and left. So, Marianne has been hired to, like, pretend that she's, like, her walking buddy and pretty much memorize her face and her poses and paint from her memory. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's, she's like, I guess I'll do this. But it's fucking weird. Oh. Yeah, and she's I, like, I personally wouldn't have taken the job. Uh, be like, this is strange. I don't I feel mean, right about this. I mean, I'm sure it's very hard for a woman artist in the late 1700s to get a job. Fair. So, I mean, I probably would. Especially after taking a fucking boat trip there. I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm already fucking here. <laughs> Yeah. But she's like, why do you want me? Why is she okay with having a walking buddy? And she's like, I do not let her out of the house. 
And then Marianne's like, why? Um, and it turns out that her, her sister, um, Eloise's sister, who had been like the, the mistress of the house previously, um, yeah. had been uh, sad and had committed suicide on one of her walks. She was walking with like one of the servants, um, Sophie, I believe her name was. Um, yeah. And she threw herself so. off the cliff. Um, so, Eloise, who was at a convent, came back. Um, to take her place. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of these first couple scenes of them just walking is, uh, you know, they're very, like, unsure of each other. Um, Eloise is, like, really suspicious because she's like, why the fuck is this bitch, like, keep looking at me like this? Yeah. <laughs> she keeps, Marianne just, like, is staring at her, and when as soon as she starts turning, she, like, turns away. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, pretty obvious. <laughs> and then, yeah. I, I like these scenes. I, I especially like the scene where they're, like, looking out at the ocean, and she keeps trying to, like, steel glances and then she just like looks back to see uh Eloise glaring at her. Yeah. I really like uh Adele um Adele's like performance because like I love the kind of like grumpiness of Eloise's character. Oh for and the, sure. The way that it like slowly softens as they become friends and then lovers <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, no, she um, definitely gives a killer performance in this. So eventually, like Marianne does finish this portrait, but she tells Eloise's mother, she's like, "I need to, I need to tell Eloise, like, I I want to be the one to show her the portrait. You can't see it until she does. I feel like I've betrayed her because even after the short." Um, it's only been five days, I believe. Um, yeah. But she's like, I, I feel like she's trusting me and we're, we've become friends and I can't do this. So she tells them. She tells her and Eloise is pissed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, no wonder you've been telling me good things about Italy. You feel guilty. Yeah. Um, and then but she, uh, she does show her the painting, and she's like, is that what you fucking think I look like? And she basically admits that it's not really so much her artistic interpretation as so much as it is a pleaser painting to please her mother. And then she basically just insults it, which really pisses her off, so she, uh, as Eloise well, goes to grab her mother. She doesn't even, like, insult it. She says... You know, I knew it wasn't going to, like, look just like me, because you've had to do this, but if I'm so sad it doesn't reflect you either, like, your artistic style. Like, it doesn't, it feels, she pretty much says it, like, feels soulless. Like, it doesn't have, it it feels inhuman in the interpretation of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, she goes to grab her mother, and then Marianne's up like, well, fuck this, so she just kind of, like, wipes the face off. And, uh, the mother's not very pleased with this. Uh, she was planning on taking Marianne with her 
when she left because she had like a friend who wanted a portrait done. But so she's basically like, all right, fine. It'll be done. Five days. I'm about to leave. Better be done when I get back. So basically, Marianne, Eloise, and Sophie have the house to themselves. Essentially, yeah, at first, at first, the 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 mother just like fired Marianne, but Eloise like stepped in. And she's like, "No, she will oh, do yeah. it. I will pose for her." And the mom's mm. like, "Why?" And she's like, "Because I like her pretty much." Well, she, she she's says, cool. uh, she basically like tells her mom, "Fuck you," because she's like, "Well, what difference does it make to you?" And she's like, "Oh, none." Because regardless yeah. of what the answer is, the end result will be the same. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so, so she, she leaves for Italy, and then we just get a bunch of scenes where, like, they're painting, obviously, but the rest of the time, their their bond is growing. Um, yeah, they, uh, there's a scene where Marianne wakes up in the middle of the night. Uh, she's uh having her period, and then she uh goes downstairs and Sophie's helping her out with that and Sophie explains that she she's missed her last three. Yeah, like she's obviously pregnant. She knows that and she's just like, I, I don't want a baby. I'm going to get rid of it. I was just waiting until the mistress had left. So she's like, oh, well, I'll help you out with that. So they like take her out to run laps and they drink lots of alcohol and I think they they make they some like kind of her by her stomach in that scene. Is that what's going on? I think so. Um, I'm not really sure. Yeah, they don't um, they, really show. They make Sophie. like their homemade abortion juice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they go. I, I really like how matter of factly, like, they portrayed abortion in this film. Like, it, it was a big deal for Sophie, obviously. But the film just treated it as, yeah, this is a thing that's always happened. Yep. This is a thing. It existed. <laughs> like, it was never, like, a huge deal, I guess. And I really liked that. Yeah. Well, it's, it also shows that it's always kind of had that, like, same social taboo to it. Because she obviously has to wait until her, like, boss leaves before she can do yeah. it. Um. But, yeah, and that, this leads to, like, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when she goes to kind of, like, I, I'm pretty sure it's essentially, like, a gynecologist where she's just kind of getting it checked out. Um, and, uh, like, the baby is, like, right next to her and it's, like, touching her face. Well, yeah, the, so the, she goes to pretty much this, so... First, they go to this bonfire where she meets with this doctor and she's the doctor's like, or the guy in the college, whatever. She's she's the one that's going to like perform this abortion because she says, you still have the baby. Come see me in two days and I'll do it pretty much. Yeah. Um, And all this time, there's this big bonfire going. There's this super epic song they sing. Mm-hmm. This like acapella thing. I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is." I awesome. was really creeped out at first, but then it got yeah, like the really very pretty. beginning is like really creepy because they all just start going like, "Oh!" And they're just like out of <laughs> this like, bonfire in the middle the of the woods. I'm like, "Is this the witch?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, all these women are just like, "Oh!" 
like, are they going to start floating? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but that I really like the song and, um, Eloise is super inexperienced. We've already learned this. Like she's never felt love or anything. And Marianne has, uh, they've talked about it. And Eloise is like, have you ever felt love? And they're like staring at each other longingly. This is when like, it becomes so much more apparent. Like, the whole movie's pretty gay. Mm-hmm. But this is when it's like, are they gonna kiss? And they, like, almost do right here. But then there's, a like, another shot of, like, both of them on either side of the bonfire kind of just staring at each other. And, man, I fucking love the lighting in this movie. Yeah, it had some really good lighting. Oh, like, all the shots, like, looked so fucking good. Yeah. Uh, Oh, fun fact about Blood Shack real quick. Um, Apparently, Ray Dennis Steckler used two lights. (laughs) Two lights. I saw that. (laughs) (sighs) I couldn't find a source on that, but... Yeah. I believe it. <laughs> I saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Marianne's dress catches fire as she's kind of like, she steps away from the bonfire. And uh, then some people come and, like, put it out with a blanket, and then she kind of falls over. Um, but they go back to the house, uh, and then it's... This is the scene where... She asks about love, right? Because they're like hating her from, or was that before? They do they it at the, the bonfire. Um, then they're hang, then they already hang hung her to do like the abortion stuff the, from from her stomach. But okay, um, this is when. Oh, they also at one point they they read uh, the story of Orpheus, Orpheus. and his and was uh, it Eur- Eurydice, 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 yeah. Um, and I really like the the interpretation they say of like, you know, I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And he just wanted to live. He he didn't choose the lover's path. He chose the poets or whatever that he would yeah. live with the memories because memories are always like much more perfect than like life, you know. But I like I don't really agree. I think you. I think Orpheus was just a fucking idiot. Oh. He's like, oh, I gotta turn. I I know this god told me not to turn around, but my wife's yelling. (laughs) But I really like uh, that conversation they have. Yeah, because they're like, well, you know, he turned around because he wanted to preserve the artistic memory, and then they ask the question, and it's like, well, did she say to turn around, or was it like a trick from like the underworld? Yeah, and it's like, "Mm, who knows. Um, but then they have, uh, this is when Marianne starts having these, like, visions. She'll be walking around the house and she'll see, um, Eloise in a white dress standing in a doorway, like, illuminated, um, in, like, a wedding dress. Um, so she's now being like haunted in this, these visions of this woman she's like obviously fallen in love with uh, and then the next day after this first uh, vision they go to a cave and they kiss and uh, yeah. it's magical uh, but Eloise immediately runs away and locks herself in her room for the rest of the day 
Yeah. But that night, um, yeah. Marianne returns to her own room, and Eloise is waiting for her there. And she immediately goes and, like, holds her. And she's like, I thought you were scared. She's Eloise's like, I, I am. I'm very scared. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, and I don't know what to do. But um, they they make love. Um, it's very well shot. <laughs> yeah. And then um, there's a scene, I think, right after they have sex. And I really like this scene. Because they're just hanging out naked. And, uh, like... Uh, that's this scene, right? Uh, are you talking about the scene where they, like, uh, take whatever that, like, drug the, is, where she's like, it'll make us fly? Maybe. I know they have a jar of deodorant. Oh, is that what that was? Okay, yeah, that, that was makes, deodorant. That makes much more sense, because I... Th- the way that she described it, she's like, it'll make us fly. And I figured, I'm like, oh, it's obviously some sort of, like, drug or something. That sounds like a description that they would say for getting high back then. But then she just starts rubbing her armpits. I'm like, uh, okay. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, I apparently, guess that makes more sense. I think sense. that's just deodorant. That's just what deodorant looked like. Okay. Um, I, I really like this scene because I feel like... It's it's weird to say this, but I feel like sex is often too like over sexualized in movies. Like, I don't think sex should just be like, look how horny we can make you. <laughs> like, I like that in this like afterglow, they're super happy and stuff, but they're just kind of hanging out. Yeah. They're just kind of laying around. She's like playing with her belly. <laughs> it's just mm. kind of it's. I, I think it's a lot more endearing than any other, like, oh, that sex was amazing kind of scene. Yeah. It's just, like, laying in their own love kind of thing, chilling, hanging out. Like, that's the kind of shit I like. I'm like, this is a good-ass scene. Yeah. I can, I can see that. Um, but, and yeah. It, they know they only have a couple days left, obviously, but they their love does start growing stronger. Um, and Marianne still is pretty much being constantly haunted. Like every night when she's alone, pretty much, she'll get another vision of Eloise in this wedding dress. Mm-hmm. Um, and they finish the portrait. It's very pretty, uh, very good. I really like the paintings in this movie. Um, there was a... Uh, the the painter that did all the paintings for this movie, apparently, like, when this movie came out in France, there was a gallery with all the paintings. Oh, and I'm like, fuck, that would have been cool to go to. Yeah. Should leave those up in a museum. Yeah. Um, but... They finish the portrait, and Marianne's, like, immediately pretty much like, I, fu- I, I hate, I hate that I finished it, because it just means that I'm helping you to leave me, pretty much. And Eloise's like, you cannot be mad at me for something I cannot control. And she's like, I'm sorry, but I am anyway. <laughs> like, I, I also really like this scene, because it's like, they, they both know that these feelings are, like, unreasonable, like... They shouldn't be mad at each other for these things that neither of them like can control, but they are. But at least they can admit it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
it's just I, I feel like a lot of the dialogue in this movie is a lot more honest than I'm used to when looking at like romance movies and I'm like yeah. that's that's a nice that's nice I just want people to be honest with their emotions uh, but yeah they get into like a little bit of a fight um obviously Marianne's upset with uh Eloise cuz obviously the whole arranged marriage thing and Eloise is kind of upset with Marianne because she kind of keeps hinting that she just wants her to ask her to fight this to kind of like resist but Marianne just keeps going like no no it's better that you go off to Milan and get married to this guy it's what your mother wants it's what's better for you and I think that like obviously really hurts her deep inside because it's not what she wants and she knows it's not what Marianne wants either yeah and they basically have this scene where they kind of call each other cowards here and they fight and they like kind of piss off for this little short while uh like uh Eloise <coughs> leaves the house and uh goes down by the ocean and uh it's just kind of like is sad and then uh Marianne comes out and finds her and after she gets the news from Sophie that uh it's official that uh the mom will be back tomorrow and she kind of goes to the ocean and apologizes and delivers that message uh so they have like one last night where they're just like laying in bed it's kind of like the groundhog day up uh and <laughs> where he's like don't fall asleep yeah um but yeah they're like don't fall asleep uh, this is uh, our last night kind of thing but they're slowly like drifting off together important thing that we left out that becomes very relevant um in one scene i don't know if it's the scene or a scene that's the like night before but they kind of like swap pictures oh yeah the the day before um after they had gotten like over their kind of anger with each other they're like laying in bed together and um she's in in like she's making like a little locket for herself marianne's like painting a picture of eloise in a little locket of herself um and she's like so i can have a picture of you forever and Eloise is like, well, that's not very fair. Yeah. So she paints a picture of uh, herself, herself in, in Eloise's page book. Page 28 of Eloise's like, favorite book. Yep. Um, she, like, uses... She's, like, looking at her face in, like, a mirror while using, like, Eloise's body as, like, a... Uh, a, reference. a reference. There we go. I, I know words. Yes. I know words. Uh, um. so they both have these things to remember each other by and in the morning it's like really sad because yeah. the mom gets home and she's like this is very good and she gives him her the gift and Eloise is like trying to stay in the room to say goodbye privately but the mom's like come on out come on um, and it's time for 
Marianne to leave, so she gives Sophie a hug because they became pretty good friends throughout this whole thing. Like, they literally yeah. watched Sophie get an abortion. Yeah. And then and then painted it, I remember. Yes, they did paint it. I forgot about that scene. Um, and then, so she gives Sophie a hug, and then she walks in the room, and she's like, she like, it's like, I need to give Eloise a hug goodbye. So she like walks up to like say goodbye to the mom and then gives her a hug and the mom's like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you giving me a hug? She like her eyes are like, what the fuck? So that she can then give Eloise a hug and it's like a really passionate hug, but she like cuts it off after like a second. So like nothing suspicious. Yeah. And then she says but, goodbye and starts walking away. But right before she walks out that door, there's a voice that tells her to turn around. And it's Eloise in the flesh, for real, in the yep. wedding dress. She and turns around for a split second and then shuts the door, and leaving it Eloise goes in pitch her. black. Yep. And then uh, it cuts back to Marianne in the present time in that art class, and she's. She's uh, looking at all the portraits that people drew of her. <laughs> she's and like, she looks at the one of the one student who brought out the painting. And she's like, "You made me look incredibly sad in this picture." <laughs> she's like, "That's because you were." <laughs> yes. Yeah. She um, kind of like ponders a bit and recalls like, "I saw her two more times after that," and it yep. cuts to her um, in like an art show, like a gallery, and like one of her paintings is there, but she had like. Uh, it seems like someone had requested that, like, a daughter be painted onto it. Probably, if I had to guess, it was the mother. It doesn't seem like that would be the request of a uh, Eloise, but you never know. It could have been. Well, no, I'm, that was a that was a new painting. I'm pretty sure. Oh, was it? Yeah, because that was a different dress. Oh yeah, I guess it was. Fuck. Um. So, but she she had gone to this gallery because her own picture was there um, that she had submitted under her father's name. <laughs> yeah. Because he had more notoriety and he was a male, so obviously people showed more attention to him. Mm. Um, her I, painting, I, I, by I the really way. like her fucking painting. <laughs> yeah, it's a adaptation of uh, the myth of a fucking... Uh, Orpheus. Orpheus. And and it, what is her name? I fucking always fucking forget. Eurydice. Eurydice. Whatever. Whatever yeah. fucking name is. Um. But and it's it's talking about how like usually it's before the turn or after she has died, but instead it's them looking like straight at each other as if they're saying each other. Yeah. Because it feels like, I, I like that because like you only need a moment to say goodbye. You only need like a single look. And I like that because that's that's all they really had is they had that single look, that split second before she shut the door was like their yeah. goodbye. Um, but then she sees in this like uh, directory that there's a painting and she's like, what? And she walks over and the, it's this painting of Eloise and her daughter. But Eloise had specifically asked to have her book painted with her, and she has the page, like, open to 28. Yes. Which... And I really hated this part, because uh, I really wanted 
them not to do the hard zoom into the 28 because I had noticed it when they were just showing the painting straight up. And I'm like, please don't hard cut to that. But they did. And I was like, ah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't mind it. Small gripe. But yeah. But I thought that was very cute and sad. Um, and then they show, and then I saw her one last time, and it's she's like at this opera house because Eloise had talked about how she had never been to like any orchestras or opera houses or anything. And they but they she went. Loves music. She loves music, and she had been like, I wanted to go to this church. Like she loved going to the church because they always sang music. Um, they sang songs and shit, uh, but. They're sitting on opposite sides, and Marianne sees Eloise, but Eloise doesn't see her. And it just slowly zooms in as Marianne, like, stares at her, and Eloise is just, like, experiencing the music, and she's, like, laughing and crying, and then it just ends. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. This Uh, is, uh... This is a sad movie. I love love the movie, personally. I, I... it, it might be my favorite movie from last year. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's still very fresh to me. I'm still processing it. But yeah, I, I want to watch it again. I don't know if it'll be my favorite movie of last year, but I could see it. I need a second watch, though. Yeah, it's it's definitely off the top of my head in my top three of last year, I'd say. Um, I don't know where exactly it plays or if I'd like... What is that top three? What, the lighthouse, this, and parasite. Parasite, yeah, yeah. Um, those are those are the three off the top of my head. There might have been like something else I saw last year that I might have liked, but oh, um, yes, actually there was, but I'll bring that up here in a second. Um, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this movie. I I really liked it. Uh, I really, I really like this director. Um, I want to watch the two up. She, this was her fourth feature length film. And, um, from what I've gathered, it's her best. Uh, but I really enjoyed Water Lilies. And I suspect, uh, I think her other one's called Girlhood and Tomboy. And I've heard those two are pretty fucking awesome as well. Hmm. Um, Water Lilies was good, but it very much, like, plays out like a first attempt. Like, it's obvious. Um, yeah. But, uh, it, this, this movie kind of fucked me up, too. Like, I, I got really sad. <laughs> I was like, oh! But it may have just been, like, I've been just getting really depressed because of, obviously, having to stay home all the time. Obviously, yeah. quarantine can get you depressed. So I, I feel like movies emotionally, like I've been able to connect with the movies more because of this, which is both a good and bad thing. Because it's like if I watch a sad movie, it like I'm sad about it all day. Yeah, but it's I also feel- it's nice being able to like have such visceral connections with movies right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, the filming of this movie, they did it in 38 days, which is pretty fast. Like, I feel like most movies are done in, like, what, three months? of How, how, many, how, many, day, how many days of filming is, like, average? Um, I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think it depends on, obviously, the type of movie. Something like a, like a Marvel movie's 
going to probably take a little bit longer to uh, set up and make as opposed to like something like uh, this. Like more dialogue driven films. Huh? Like more dialogue driven films like this. More dialogue driven films, more uh, I could imagine something like this could take potentially a little longer than a Marvel film because they have just like green screen sets and they just yeah, have to worry about true. the lighting stuff. They have to worry about like the locations and the costumes and the lighting yeah. on this and yeah, the intense um, dialogue. Um, I don't know. But this took 38 days. Uh, it was only filmed pretty much in two locations. Um, obviously, they filmed on that island of Brittany uh, in a place called St. Pierre Quiberon. Which, which is just like that island and that, that part of the island. Um, but all the, all like the inside shots and that, that place was a chateau in La Chapelle Gauthier, <laughs> um, which is in, um, the surrounding area of like Paris. So. Oh, okay. But most, that house was like just there <laughs> because Paris architecture is pretty fucking lit. <laughs> hmm. But, um, it's funny because I, I feel like more than most movies we watch, the biggest thing I was like impressed for, on was like the mise-en-scene in this film. Um, and the other film that comes to mind when I've talked about it is Vagabond. And I'm like, I guess it's only French films that it really speaks to me <laughs> yeah. when it's like visual storytelling because this like – because of, like, the production design and the lighting, and it's just, like, it felt like just as much storytelling was going on with the visuals as with as there was with the dialogue. And I like when it's, like, a 50-50 split. It feels really nice and fluid and, like, I feel like I can be swept away by the emotions of the film if all parts, all aspects of it are speaking to me, I guess. Oh, I agree. 100%. Yeah. And that's that's why I think this in Vagabond like spoke to me so well because like everything was telling me a story. <laughs> it wasn't just because a lot of the times it feels like sets are built or costumes are made just to help deliver the story of like the dialogue. It feels like it's tacked on to help this instead of being like this is one cohesive unit together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Uh, that it's more just kind of as service to the dialogue instead of in service to, like... The story. Like, they they should both be in service to the story, but instead it feels like most films, the, like, visual storytelling is in service to the dialogue to help that tell the story. So it feels more indirect, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I I'd agree. I think that this film does a really good job at handling its mise-en-scene. Um, that's one of the things where I, I was like griping so hard about the uh, page number hard cut at the end. I, I like yeah. the idea of it only showing the portrait in that kind of like wide shot because it's like the whole idea of like a painting is like you're supposed to go in and like peek at the little micro details, you know, and pick it apart like that. Exactly what my Zonson is, so. Yeah, it just, it just unfortunately feels like 
I, I hate saying this because it makes me sound pretentious and I feel pretentious when I say it, but it just feels like a lot of movie watchers are really lazy in like viewing movies, which is fine. Like you should be able to watch a movie. If that's how you want to go, if you just want to watch out and zone out a movie, that's fine. I don't want to make it seem like I'm like, if you're not paying attention to the movie, fuck you. Because do whatever you want. But it's yeah. unfortunate that people feel like they have to. Ca- yeah, exactly. They have to cater. They have to like spoon feed you this information. Obviously, I, that's the only real part of the movie that I think is really spoon feeding you into information. So I don't yeah. really care too much. It's like when it happens nonstop that it really annoys me. Yeah. So like one instance of it isn't really going to bother me. But it, it, I just think it's unfortunate that this has to happen because it feels like Skiyama wants to be successful, not just for like art house connoisseurs, but for like standard audiences. So she has to do things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, people it's are like, oh, because I feel like regular people will now go, did you see the number 28? <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but that's the that's the place where they drew the picture. <laughs> yeah. It's just like ding ding ding, here you go, it's right here. In case you, you win a prize. It's like, oh thanks. Um, um <coughs> Go ahead. Oh yeah. No, I was just kinda um in there. You know what I really liked about this movie? The sound design. Yeah, no, I had a really good sound design. It felt like, honestly, sometimes it felt like I was watching, like, an ASMR video. (laughs) Like, everything sounded really good in it. Definitely reminded me of some of the, like, art restoration videos I watch on YouTube in the very beginning when she's, like, uh, sketching out some of the tones of the painting that she's making. Yes, yeah. But... Yeah, like, that's... I, I, the, the sound quality in a lot of her films, or, like, at least in Water Lilies, even, like, her first film, is really good. I was surprised by that. Like, for a first film, I feel like that's one of the, the weaker parts about most people's first films, is they there's some technical aspects they haven't quite mastered, and I feel like sound design is one of the... Yeah, the, sound like, is one of the hardest part. down. But it's been pretty solid from the get-go, and this one, like, it was fantastic. <laughs> Huh. Um, also, I really, really like the music in this movie. Yeah, no, I had a good soundtrack. Um, and I think I I want to talk about the the musical artist. Uh, I believe his name is or his artist name is Para One. Um, but his name's Jean Baptiste de Lobier, I believe. Um, and he's he's like a semi famous composer. Uh, he also directs some films occasionally. But he's done all of the compositions on all of her films. And I think that shows because it feels like a lot of this movie has like a person, the soundtrack has a personal connection. I don't know if like that came to you at all, but it just, I don't know. The music just felt personal to me. Um, I didn't necessarily pick up on like a personal tone, but I did like the soundtrack. Maybe I'll get that if I were to, like, hone in on it on a second watch, because it wasn't, like, 
top of my priority list when I was like focusing in on the movie, obviously. Yeah. Because it was my first uh, time. But I just it. And I feel like that's why, you know, people people some people are like, why do these directors always work with the same actors or uh, composers. I'm like, this is why. Because when you can build a connection with, like, an actor this well, they'll make your movie better than it could ever possibly be. Oh, like, yeah. like, for example, Song Kang-ho and Bong Joon-ho's movies, like, I feel like their connection together gets better each time, to the point that they're both building each other up at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely a mutual relationship of, like, understanding, uh, like, the director's abilities and the actor's range and knowing how far you can, like, push someone and challenge them before it's, like, crossing a line or whatever, yeah. you know? It takes a lot of, like, personal getting to know you to, like, craft something so poignant like that. No, I would. I I completely agree. No, but yeah, I was I was in love with this movie. I'm very excited for a second watch, and by by the next episode, I probably will have seen her other two films. I'm guessing because what the fuck else am I gonna do with my time? Fair enough. <laughs> watch Gundam and watch Celine Sciamma films. Sounds like a good combination. Um, I gave this movie a 10, personally. Uh, I would give it probably a 9. I thought it handled everything very well. Except for the 28. <laughs> yeah, except for that. That was my one my one major gripe with the film. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I was, I was very sad because Hinata didn't like it very much. And as I was yeah. watching it, I had a feeling that she wouldn't because yeah, you, she you also that, didn't like Vagabond. She just, she just doesn't <laughs> like French say? movies. That She doesn't. And I'm like, you live in France! <laughs> <laughs> and it's so sad because I love French films. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the Fr- French are arguably the best at cinema. <laughs> it's not. At the very least, like I feel like when it comes to like n- non-English films, I love French films and I love like uh, Korean films the most. From what I've seen, obviously, um, yeah. And at the very least, she she likes most Korean films I like. So I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> but but yeah. I, I feel like from the very beginning, Francis had this like kind of like auteur kind of outlook on making movies that aren't just like. The, the mainstream French films because I've seen a couple mainstream French films that were bad <laughs> like yeah. obviously mainstream a lot of mainstream films from anywhere are going to be kind of the same <laughs> um, but I feel like their more independent stuff is a lot more like a tour based than maybe other countries and it might be harder for people to get into while I think that uh, South Korean films have a great way of like blending together like artistic integrity with being able to be consumed by the general public and still be enjoyable, I guess. Yeah. Which I don't think either way is like the wrong way to make films, but from what I've seen, it seems like that's the majority. 
Like, Bong Joon-ho is a great example of, like, making brilliant films and adding a bunch of, like, really great artistic moments while also making them, like, really easy to watch for, like, the general public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's really good at finding the balance in between the two. Yeah. While, like, I understand... I think Vagabond's a fucking brilliant movie, but I get why some people wouldn't like it. Oh, yeah. Because they hate women, obviously. <laughs> Just yeah, so 9.5 average for this movie and a 1 average for the other. So, um, very polar opposites. <laughs> um, what are we watching next week from you? Alright, my film, 2019, this fantastic Ooh. film called uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, and is that on Prime? I think so, yeah. Let me just make sure. It's A24, so. It is indeed on Prime Video. If you don't have Prime Video, it's also available for free on Canopy if you have a library card. Um, let me check my video uh, movie. I forgot the name of it. Hold on real quick. Ugh. Okay. What John Carpenter films have you not seen? Have I not seen? Yeah. Oh jeez, um, I'd have I'd have to like pull up a list. Have you watched The Fog? Uh, no, I I haven't seen his version. I've seen the remake. All right, we're going to watch The Fog. Okay, there was a remake of The Fog. Yeah, it's from like two thousand five. It's not very good. Wouldn't recommend it. By Rupert Wainwright? Oh, yeah, that's a 1.6. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Uh, yeah. um, the Fog is... I mean, you can buy or rent it from YouTube. So that means the Google store. Yeah, so... I'm excited for The Fog. Uh, also, I'm probably going to be watching uh, the Gunbuster anime this week. Okay, cool. So, um... And maybe the sequel anime. Mm. Depends. I've been in an anime kick, but, like, mostly, like, mech anime and robot anime. I, I love mech animes. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. Uh, um, like, my, my favorite anime right now is still probably Gurren <laughs> That's good. Gunbuster is great. I haven't seen Die Buster, but Gunbuster is fucking phenomenal. I feel like... I feel like... I feel like... There might be a lot more anime on my top 50 this time around. I feel like my top 15 will be... Actually, I feel like my whole list will be, like, so much different than, like, my previous list. Yeah. Mine too, probably. So, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, anyway, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, tell your grandpa about the podcast, because I think he'd really like it. Uh, we hope you're all being safe out there, staying at home, living your life, watching anime. Um, 
stay safe. And uh, if you have any questions for the podcast, you can always leave them in the YouTube channel comments or email us at screen at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on fucking, I don't know, do we have a Facebook page? Not yet. I'll probably make one soon. Anyway, thanks for watching. Anything you want to say to the viewers, Thomas? Get fucked. <laughs> All right. Adios. Later.